You're listening to Dancing Around Elephants, a podcast that talks to dancers about the elephant in the room, dance injuries. I'm Danelle Dixon, a dancer turned physical therapist, and I currently work with dancers helping them get past their challenges to access the next level of their dance careers. I'm sitting down to talk with dancers about their journey, their injuries, and how they have successfully navigated past the elephant in the room. My goal is to change the way we approach injuries in the dance community, and it all starts with a conversation. Let's get started. Hey guys, we're on to part four of this series with Zara Bartels. I told you she has a lot to say. So in part three, we discuss her Broadway success secrets and gets a little bit personal about the realities of a Broadway dancer. Go check it out if you haven't already. On to part four. So moving on a little bit, what's mm-hmm. the pitfalls of the career that you've chosen? Because you haven't chosen to get into contemporary dance. You decided mm-hmm. specifically for financial reasons mm-hmm. that this was not the track that you wanted. Yep. What are the pitfalls that you've encountered in Broadway? Antisocial hours. Anti-social hours. Tell me yeah. more about that. So, you know, earlier I was talking about making sure you have a full life. Uh-huh. You can't do that in musical theater. I mean, you could kind of do that in contemporary theater uh-huh. as well. But me- when it comes to musical theater, you have one day off a week. You have your daytimes off, not your night times. Mm-hmm. And when you're younger, it's great. In your early 20s, oh my God, it was amazing because I knew all the door club, all the guys on the doors at clubs. So my friends... And I, most of my friends weren't in my business, mm-hmm. right? But it was fine because we were all in our early 20s and we were like, yeah, we go to the club and Zara could get us in and we go to all these parties and all that. But then as you get older and nieces turn up and people get married and life changes and your idea of a good night is going to amazing restaurant at 7 o'clock and being in bed by 10, <laughs> you know, or like going to a jazz bar or going mm-hmm. to the cinema. Yeah. That doesn't happen because of your t- your hours, right? And yeah. then weekends don't exist because you're working. Mm-hmm. So for me, the biggest pitfalls was antisocial hours, that was the main reason why I left the business, to be really, really honest. Right. Like, I just wanted a different approach to my life. Yeah. And so there was definitely, so there was a straight off. And at some point, even though this was a thing that you love, mm-hmm. you had other things that you needed to balance with. Yeah. For me, balance was super important. Yeah. And as I said, like, I don't want to just be a dancer. Yeah. Like, there's so much more to this life in this. And I feel like I'm so much more of a human Yes. Then just a dancer. Yeah. Like there's there was this article at home when we were younger. I mm-hmm. think yeah, you were still when we were doing Miss Herrera's that saloon piece that she did to Count Basie. I don't remember. Ah, yeah, 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 I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, I remember the music. I don't think I danced in that one, but I remember that music. So they had done this article on me in the Express, I think, and the cover was a picture from that piece. Yeah, Express is a newspaper in Trinidad and Tobago. Right. And the headline was Zara, the Black Ballerina. I just thought, and I still think about it, and I go, and I have it, obviously, because you should keep those things and scrapbooking and stuff. Mm-hmm. But every time I look at it, I get really annoyed because I'm just like, I'm not just a ballerina. And for me, that was a big thing. Yes. About my choice of career, my choice of, to leave my career, yeah. when I chose to leave it, all of those things. Like, And that is so interesting because I think so many dancers, unlike you, and, and maybe this is just something that they don't express, their conversation is very, very 
tunnel visioned in terms of just just dance you know what I mean like they don't really speak about other things and I do think in general I do think dance should be your art it should be your career it should be your life it should be a passion but people are not monochrome do you know what I mean like there's so many other facets to a person that can really dictate who you are and mm-hmm. I think one of the things that dancers really do miss out on an opportunity of is to develop everything else. And then how, you how do you inform your dance if you don't mm-hmm. have other experiences? And that's oh. always been something that I'm just like, how do you become a better dancer, which is some someone who is able to replicate emotion mm-hmm. and thought and vision through their body? How do you do that without having different experiences? Yeah. If you have the same conversation about what you ate today and what therapy exercise you did and... If you improved your grandpa ma, mm-hmm. you're gonna be a pretty lame dancer at yeah. the end of it. Like you're not gonna be able to give the audience that thing that they need, yeah. which is what you add on top of your technique. Exactly. And, you know, we talked about your technique is the thing that saves you, is the thing that makes you survive, is the thing that gives you stamina. But your technique is your foundation. You got to have some juice and some sauce. Yeah. You have to put some hot sauce on top of it. <laughs> and if you don't have experiences yes. where you need to have hot sauce in your bag, like exactly what you, what you and, and this is something that i tell my dancers and for those that are listening you know you've heard this before your technique is your base but they come to you for your performance yeah, they want to they see a story you. they don't want a story yeah. and you have to be able to emote that and, and it's so true you know yeah. like i remember back home when i was dancing there were lots of times that not specifically with metamorphosis where we dance mm-hmm. together but mm-hmm. with noble douglas dance company yes, where yeah when she would be like okay danelle do this and i'm like I don't know what I don't know what sexy means because I had not experienced that yet. Mm-hmm. So I was like a little robot trying to be sexy on stage. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm and it's so true that these are the things that really inform us. You know that we dance from our hearts. We are yeah. at the core. We are performers. But there has to be that base. And there has yeah. There has to be that base. We have to build on top of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you can't so, put your feelings, emotions, and stuff on top of nothing. No. Which is why the technique has to be there. And like, you know, my favorite piece that I ever performed, which is my senior solo, like, I look at it and I know it's... Was this the one with um, Asata Shafur? Yeah. Yes. Guys, I will get a clip of that. (laughs) Because I remember looking at it and thinking, oh my God, she's gorgeous. Definitely one of my favorite things I ever performed, but Mm -hmm. I am so upset that I... Like, I got to perform it older Mm -hmm. at Metamorphosis 20th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And I was really quite... Like, I was so so torn between it because I want to perform this piece as an older woman. I got to do that, but I wasn't physically in the same space. Uh And it was very interesting watching a video now and it's very, and watching it too. Yeah. But I was still really glad that I was able to put that because I think it still worked more because I had so much more life experience and I could actually understand what Athena Shakur was going through now. Yes. Whereas at 20 something, I know what she, I was able to manifest it and figure out how that would feel. But now it was, it was so much easier yeah. to get that kind of guttural, that, that emotional, emotional and, and that's the things that people look for in performances. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a reason why people come back to the Lion King over and over again, yeah. because they have an experience. It's mm-hmm. not about seeing if, I mean, fancy costumes. You, I mean, you don't need to leave your house for that. That's true. You know what that's I mean? You can true. like, in this day and age on Netflix, you can see that anywhere. <laughs> Do you that's know what I mean? True. We don't need to see that, but people come to feel something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, that storytelling component is mm-hmm. so interesting. Okay, so getting back on track. We're almost there, guys. We're almost there. We like to talk, but we're almost there. So how did you manage, and I think you talked about this a little bit, but how did you manage in the last 10 years as a dance captain to leave in one piece? So in the Caribbean, when a lot of bad things are happening to you or you need, like, security, 
you have a bush bat now. Don't ask me what goes in a bush bat. I've actually never had one. Neither me. But it's now it's <laughs> just a phrase. And like there was a point in time in Lion King where like no way of a lie, we had someone who had an aneurysm while on stage. We had, and was then paralyzed for like six months. We had an audience member die. We had oh my god, like I tell you, we had someone have like a heart attack. We had someone with pneumonia. We had someone with cancer. Like I was just like, oh, this place need a bush bat, and mm-hmm. I had to explain it what it meant. And it's just that thing where it's like you wash away all the bad vibes and you minimize the bad vibes. And so that that's my joke. Like a cleansing, like a it's a cleansing. Like a yeah, to clean away all the craziness, you know. So, but wow. I think. The thing that made me survive, and I'm sorry, I'm looking for my notes because I want to be very specific about this. Because okay, important guys. Pay I think attention. I Pay think attention. it was valid. Was you just have to have a thick ass skin, like especially in the position that I was in. I was in a position where I was an easy target, mm-hmm. and so to survive ten years of what I could possibly now say in a really loving, caring, appreciative. Way was possibly a little bit abusive, mainly because like those dancers were they were difficult, you know. And my approach to work was very different, which I think we spoke about. Um, I had a thick skin, but also I had another plan, mm. and having another plan meant that this wasn't forever. Which then meant that anything you threw at me, I'd be like, "Bring it on, baby," because I'm gonna be moving on, and. Having another plan and having another life outside of the Lion King is what actually really made me survive. And most of my friends weren't in the business. So when I wasn't at work, I wasn't at work. Mm. And you actually, you actually had a mental break. I a true mental break. took mental breaks. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I didn't, I don't think I took physical breaks because I always took care of my body and I took care of my instrument because it's my instrument is what made my money. But at the end of the day, if I was in that building, I don't want to hear nothing about that building. I wasn't interested unless there was an emergency. And then if my company manager calls me, she's like, there's an emergency. Okay, fine. I kick into gear. But if I'm, if it wasn't happening, wow. I was doing something else. So it's all about the balance. It is like, you know, I feel so lame saying about it's about the but, balance. But it's so true. Work-life balance is like that new hashtag. And that, no, that no, 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 no. real. No, no, no. Every, I, I do it's believe so real. that every single cliche has an element of true to it. Yeah. And it doesn't quite... It doesn't quite sink in how truthful it is until you've experienced it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so the work-life balance thing is legit yes. necessary and real, especially when you work in an industry that requires all of you. Yes. Yes. If you don't find that balance, if you don't do other things outside. And sometimes I did I did really simple things like Monday was my day off. Mm-hmm. That meant I went to the cinema on Monday at 2 p.m. There was never anybody else in our cinema. It was just me and my hot dog, and my Coke, and my nachos, and I bought everything, and it didn't matter who, how much I was chomping, because there was nobody else there, and it got so bad, well, not so bad, or I should, I actually think it's so good, that to the point where the people in the audience would rewind the movie for me, if oh. I reach late, because I would leave at the time the movie started to miss previews, because it was mm-hmm. nearby, but if I ended up in traffic, or somebody decided to walk, and took a little longer, they'd be like, you're late, movie start, we'll rewind it, thanks. And there was one time where, like, I squirted. I was doing my ketchup on my hot dog, and the ketchup squirted on my white T-shirt. They tried clean it for me because they know they will see me every Monday. Oh, And that God. was, like, my thing. Yeah. And it was, and the movies are great because your, your phone is off. Mm-hmm. It's dark. 
if I fall asleep, so what? Like, it was, mm-hmm. that was my thing. And up yeah. to this day, I still go to movies by myself. I mean, I don't go on a Monday at 2 p.m., mm-hmm. but it's my thing. And yeah. sometimes that's all you need. It might not be that big of a deal. And when you have one day off, you don't have that. Have you have, that so time. basically, you have to kind of reclaim your space. You have to reclaim your space. Your mental space. Totally. Otherwise, you will die. Yeah. You will die. And like, the last three years of my career for me were quite busy because I was like dealing with injury. Mm-hmm. And then once I came back from that, I was like, oh, time to get my master's. And I got my master's while I was working because I was master's in, in business. Okay. So I have an MBA. Mm-hmm. And the whole plan was in action. Yes. And so my last two years was about executing my plan and, you know, making sure that when I decided to retire, there was something on the other side. Do you think your injury precipitated your, your exit? Possibly a little bit. I mean, I always knew I would have an exit. But I think it was also the time. Like, 10 years is a great number. It is. A decade. Easy, round, simple, straightforward, nice. And, like, it's a healthy number. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think it all just kind of worked out well. Mm -hmm. And I could have... I mean, I could go back. I mean, I danced on this foot since. I mean, I danced two years after retiring and not dancing at all and went on that stage in Metamorphosis. <laughs> did like I trained for like three months before and I got a personal train and I relearned a piece and I used the Lion King stage funnily enough to rehearse mm-hmm. on weekends and you know I knew for me it wasn't my physically best performance but oh my god it was amazing it was beautiful and I was yes, so happy to I'm be on so that I'm so mad stage. I missed that I know it would have been amazing I'm so mad if, I missed oh, that oh I would have been so good if you had done White Bark with us again but, but just that moment with Sonel Danelle <laughs> Abby, my sister, yes. doing the beginner white back. I mean, we can never do the whole thing now because that's 17-minute craziness. Yeah, I don't know about all that. I would not have survived it <laughs> at all. I would have been like, that would have been that moment as a dancer. I would have spoken up and been like, excuse me. So sh- can I just exit at, the, exact, at, at number three? Exactly. At the third minute? I, exactly. I can just slip out here no one Exactly. And I'd be like, yeah. it's probably better, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like... It was it was amazing and beautiful mm-hmm. and I could I could dance on my foot now if I wanted and I'm sure if I wanted to continue yes. dancing I'd be able to. So you but do I think that want to. so you do think that there's life after surgery? Oh, degrees. there's so much life after surgery. I actually you, okay, enjoyed my last two years more after my surgery. Let me rewind. Is there dance life after yeah. surgery? There yeah. is, and I enjoyed being on stage more after mm-hmm. my dance surgery because. Mm-hmm. I appreciated being on stage more. Yeah, because I I taken four months off that was like enforced four months mm-hmm. um i had a lot of time to think but mm-hmm. more importantly it was like it was a hard slog back because mm-hmm. of the nature of my injury and it's bone right so mm-hmm. it's, it's the recovery is very different to muscles so guys so just to rewind if you haven't caught the first version of this or the first segment of this zara did have um an injury to her first metatarsal first mtp joint the first the big that. toe where she had to go in and had then some surgery done and have some it seems calcium like you had moved a, out and calcium we would call it a mic, a little bit of a microfracture back in the US. If yeah. we called it something different yeah. here. Um, um, tendon had to be tendon shortened and yeah, stapled to my foot. <laughs> and from, from a physical therapy standpoint, a pretty extensive surgery. Yeah. Um. So there is life after injury. Which oh yeah, is very totally. very important. Yeah. Okay. So, who are the most important players in the dance community to move the profession forward regarding injuries and why? This was because you have seen a lot. You know what I mean? And you have seen it from an organizational standpoint. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So who do you think, like, you being a dance captain and th- talking about, okay, this person is ha- having heart palpitations, they cannot perform. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Best. Like, who who's making the key decisions? Who are these important players to move the profession forward? And what does that look like? So, you know, I read these questions before and my answers. I have no idea. 
And I've been mm. thinking about this because mm-hmm. it's actually a massive question. If I had the answer, I'd be a really rich, rich woman. I think. <laughs> um, but keep where would is, you start? Let's say you're the dance captain. Let, let's rewind five yeah. years. You're the dance captain right mm-hmm. now. And look at your organizational structure. Mm-hmm. Where would you start? If you had to be an advocate for dancers in terms of injuries. It would have to be me. How Explain that. Because I am the person that one knows what everyone does. Mm-hmm. I'm the person that can do what everyone does. Mm-hmm. And I am the person that is their manager. And mm-hmm. so therefore I'm their voice. And I am that bridge. Mm-hmm. So... In the specific Broadway West End world, I think it is the dance captain's responsibility. And I actually did that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was also that person sometimes who had to tell people, you're not going on stage tonight because you need to take care of that ankle. Yeah. I think you're here too early. And yes, your physio is going to give you, they're going to say, yes, you can do it. And our physios were actually very good because they used to come and see the show and actively look at the stage and, yeah. you know, all those things. But sometimes a da- it's also a dancer's choice, right? To be like, I'm coming back. And sometimes you need someone who's going to think, override that who's going to override you and be yeah. like, you can come back if you want, but you're going to be off in two weeks and that's not going to be useful for yourself or me because you're going to lose money and it's going to make more drama. So you're going to have to stay off. So I think it starts with the dance captains. I think the next person up and, you know, there's there's a lot of hierarchy in organizations in musical theater, mm-hmm. but I think a company manager is super important. Got it. And, like, I had a company manager, Michelle Allen. Hey, Mish! Hey! She's brilliant. <laughs> she was my company manager for a long time. I mean, we had wars. She's now family, in my opinion. She mm-hmm. might not think that, but I actually know I think she thinks that. Um, <laughs> we had wars, but she was also one totally there for me when I was going through my moments. But I've also seen her do that amazing thing where she's like, yeah, no. You can't come back to work. Or she would also do the opposite and be like, stop playing the ass and stop taking your make and get your ass to work. Because, you know, sometimes you have to be that person as well. Yeah. I think if you don't have someone above you who can talk to, say, the the back-end people, as I call them, mm-hmm. or the finance people or whatever, then you, you have to figure out how to talk to yourself. And it's, you know, we've said this a lot. You have to figure it out. Dancers have the most difficult job sometimes because you... Not just expected to be a superhero. Yeah. And there's no one. And, and even kind of starting this podcast and talking about dance injuries, one of the biggest motivators for me was being on the medical side mm. and listening to the stories that dancers consistently have where they have no one in their corner. Do you know what I mean? And they have no one saying, you are not ready to go back, but they are expected to perform. And if they get injured... They're like, well, just figure it out. And I'm like, well, how? How is this happening? Yeah. What What are the logistics? What are the systems that are set up mm-hmm. in order to allow this person to get back to yeah. full dance? And the struggle with that also is, is that because we do not view ourselves as professional athletes, which we are, mm-hmm. you know, and we don't have access to a lot of the systems that professional athletes do have, yeah. you know, it's just left up to, up to us to just figure out. Yeah. And we don't really have that knowledge and that skill set to figure out what that is. So it's important for the lay dancer, you know, mm-hmm. the person who's now entering Broadway in your, in your mm-hmm. perspective, or even a little bit of the person who is in a company setting yep. to figure out who that point person is, who is yep. the next person that's going to be able to advocate for me or to problem solve my injury, my yep. issue. Like, how do I get back to stage? And how do I stay healthy? How do I stay dancing? So like in the Broadway dance, in the Broadway musical West End theater world, you mm-hmm. always have a dance captain. That's your point person. In your contemporary company, you'll have a company manager. That's your point person. Or if you're lucky enough to have a company that has touring physiotherapist I think your physiotherapist should also be your point person okay because 
it's very hard for management to deny medical advice, right? Yes. And if your PT is like, no, they're not going on that stage, yeah. I'm signing them off, which yes. we've had PTs do mm-hmm. to our company manager. Be like, no, they, she can't go back on the stage. She might look fine. She might be walking fine. But two minutes on that stage, which is technically a steel stage, it's going to be a wrap. And then and then they could really break it down for you and be like, and then she's going to be off for a month. And then we have to think about all these things. And then I get involved and be like, I need that person. So I would rather yes. them chill out for a week. So it's really about looking at the pros and the cons. You, you know what I mean? You want to do the sprint or you want to do the marathon? And it comes down to that. And on your end, yeah. you're talking about thousands of dollars of, repu- of repercussions if you have to replace that person. Yep. In terms oh of the costuming, God. in terms of the hiring, in terms of the auditions. So there, there's a there's a it's long so a long game that you have to play in order to be successful. And we do, and we actually you know? do like feasibility studies sometimes. Mm-hmm. When someone has a chronic injury, yes. we do a feasibility study or maternity. We oh. used to have to do feasibility studies. And maternity in this country is very strict and they get a year off and there ain't no changes if ands or buts about that. Mm-hmm. So like, and their job has to be waiting. So it's like, we have to put someone else in. If that person wants to come back, do they want to come back? And like, there's all those things. And sometimes you do like, wow. you have to eat the cost or, you know, like I have a friend who took a year off and then decided not to come back. And luckily her timing worked out where it happened to blending nicely with a cast change so it was okay in the end you know what i mean but if that person end up their maternity ends up finishing in a september then you're just like okay we can offer someone the replacement the maternity cover do you only have a job for six months but that's what's quite the lion king network is amazing for that because it's been going on for so long and we have lion kings all over the place that sometimes we fly in people yeah. who know the show so you'll be a quick put in it's just costume changes or we fly the costumes with that person yeah. which is quite good about like their network they get really lucky with that Yeah. but yeah like you have to do a feasibility study that on the costume that yeah. is interesting so guys basically just to, just to kind of summarize that if you're in the Broadway world your dance captain is your go-to person Yeah. if you are in the contemporary world your stage manager yeah, stage manager, company manager. Company manager or your physical therapist yeah. is your advocate in terms of yeah. making sure you are doing the best to support yourself yeah. and to merge a vision of the company and the goals of the company with your own. Yeah. And I think right. even physical therapists in the Broadway, Dan, mm-hmm. West End world as well can yeah. be an advocate for you. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so if you had one thing that you can do to change a dance world, what would it be? Your magic wand, what would you change? I would make sure that every dancer has a good technique. <laughs> You're on the technique. I will run. keep on hammering this one because it's never failed me. Yes. And yes. that's the one thing. And I would actually not let dancers who don't have a good technique on stage. You would have to train until you get that technique. I'm sorry. Mm, that is so interesting. I would I be an absolute stickler about it. I love it. So, and you were talking specifically on a professional range. Yeah. Okay. What about, let's take you out of your comfort zone. Okay. Non-professional. What do you think about that? I don't. And she's just like I don't think about it because mm-hmm. from the time I decided I was going to be a dancer, it, I was going to be a professional dancer. Yes, and I don't actually think about that other side of the world because side. It, to me, I know that people do it. I, mm-hmm. I, and even like let's take Alicia, my sister, for example. Like mm-hmm. she was never an officially professional dancer, but the amount she actually dances. She's a professional dancer, technically, right? And she gets by, paid by exposure, of course, and by exposure, by experience, but. Now, let me but define it's, that. It has, it's never been her complete job, right? Okay. So let's go back. And I think Alicia is a good example mm-hmm. for this. There are lots of dancers who probably will not, unfortunately, be on a professional stage. Yeah. They're not. But that's, that's just the reality of mm-hmm. what it is. But they still have that love. Yeah. And they still have their side job or whatever mm-hmm. else they do that 
creates their income, but they still have this thing that they do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? What's the one thing you would change, like your sister? I would probably figure out how to get them paid. Mm. Even if you decide to do it as your hobby, your side mm-hmm. hustle, just you think you do. Or like people like my sister who do it because she's crazy and she loves it. Mm-hmm. And is probably a little bit of a masochist. <laughs> <laughs> I would figure out how to get them paid, I think. Why is that important? Because I think everyone should really value their time and their energy and their worth. And the reality is, it's not cheap to dance, no matter how you do it. Mm-hmm. It's just not cheap. Because to do it well, you have to fuel your body. Mm-hmm. And that might be a gym membership, or that might be getting to rehearsal, mm-hmm. or that might be having childcare while you're at that rehearsal. Right. Or shit, buying clothes that you could sweaty up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's not... It's it's not a cheap thing and it's not something where things are bought for you. Like, if yes. I if I go and work for a company now, if you don't give me a laptop, I don't want to work on, I have a laptop in my house, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to use my laptop and that's mm-hmm. perfectly acceptable. Yes. But when you're dancing, you come with the equipment. Yes. You are the equipment. You are the equipment. You are the tool. So if if another company could drop 1500 to buy me a laptop, why can't you drop 1500 to have me? In now, your, this, now, this is in interesting, and, and I agree with you, but this dives into the, into the bigger conversation about the economics of dancing and the financial gain that companies get versus what mm-hmm. kind of bleeds over to dancers mm-hmm. and how that influences the decisions that they make. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? How do we change that? Because we all know across the globe, no matter where you are in the US, the UK, the Caribbean, mm-hmm. dancers are not that paid very well. They're not. And they should be paid at least 500% more than any dancers being paid now. Unless maybe your name is Sylvie Guillen mm-hmm. or Carlos Acosta, because you get 10 grand to walk on stage. Mm-hmm. But that being said, the average dancer is not paid what they're worth, mm-hmm. especially when you consider what you bring to the table yes. and how much time you've invested to mm-hmm. be able to bring this to the table, right? So for me, I just listened to those people outside and lost my train of thought. <laughs> so they should be paid more. They should be paid more. Mm-hmm. But we're asking why, right? Why? Why is because of what you bring to the table and the reality is it's not just two hours of your time. It's 24 hours of your time to be a good dancer. It is. It is a full-time job. It's a full-time job. And I think with, everyone uh, With a less than part-time income. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should be paid their worth. And the yes. reality is anyone who's a master at anything mm-hmm. gets a certain premium for having put in that time and effort. So why can't I? And an artist who, yes, I, I understand it, like for an artist to be able to sell a painting for £24,000, like you have to have a certain kind of name, you have to have a certain following. But the point is you can you can definitely get to a point where you yes. can sell 20 up. And you could do two paintings for your whole year mm-hmm. and be chilling, right? Mm-hmm. And be in the Met and be in the Tate and mm-hmm. sell one piece for 60 grand and be like, yeah, no, chill out for the year. Mm-hmm. A dancer could never do that. Because yeah. even if you only went on stage three times and you were able to make 60 grand for those three times that you were on stage for the year, you still had to every other day of that year eat a certain way, drink enough water, yes. get enough sleep. Take care of your body, go to Pilates, go to the gym, go and swim, cross change, cross train, do some weights. Yep. Like, yep. there's so many other things that you have to do to maintain this thing. Yes, that you can do some just, vessel, just those five minutes on You don't stage. just have to be good at drawing. Yeah. Right? And drawing, like, technically, and I'm not trying to belittle any other artist, but if you were a beautiful painter at the end of the day, you could weigh 300 pounds and paint a beautiful painting. Yeah. 
you know it's a different skill set it's a different skill set it's a completely different skill set and it's one it's one career where you use every single part of your literal fiber of your being to 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 produce this thing yeah so yeah it requires a lot more time and energy i hear you okay so we're coming down to the one thing if you had one thing this is a one thing section guys if you had one thing that you can do to change your dance world what would it be i wonder what i'm gonna say (laughs) technique Uh, yeah (laughs) make sure everyone knows the importance and the validity of technique because Mm -hmm. i think and especially as dancers change and dances become so common and popular and it's a very social thing now right and like instagram videos and challenges and it has changed right yes but what's lost is the respect for the technique. Oh my lord, girlfriend, preach! Listen, we need to talk about this. I know we talk. <laughs> no, no, let's talk about this. And we have me. lost this so much, and I agree with you on this. I've I've always been on track with you, but in terms of the changes and dances, I cannot tell you specifically on the non-professional level. You see professionals, so they have already had their base training. Yeah. The people that I see sometimes are people that are in a smaller school setting and a smaller, you know, a smaller environment Mm -hmm. where there's not that regimented attention to technique and Mm -hmm. they are being asked to do things that their body are technically not ready for. And then you wonder, you, you come in with dancers who are 21 years old and have the injury incidents of a person who's been on Broadway for five years. And it's probably because they were just flexible and their teacher was like, oh, you should just do this. Guys, techniques will save you every day, every day of your life. Forget dancing. Whatever happens after that, you still need to maintain your body to live. Yeah. So technique, I, I, I completely agree with you. Okay. So hypothetical, you had an unlimited mm-hmm. budget, access and resources. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing you would do to help young dancers? Not professional dancers, young dancers. What is the one thing I would do to help young dancers? Mm-hmm. Think of you at 14. You had another group of people I don't think about, which is very bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, me at 14 mm-hmm. young dancer I would figure out how to facilitate what my parents so beautifully did which is get young dancers to experience as many different summer camps mm-hmm. teachers wherever in the world they could go as much as possible because all that what that does is that's the thing that I think really helped me hone into the type of dancer I was because I spent all of my summers as from 12 to go into university in a different dance camp mm-hmm. outside of Trinidad. Yes. And I think that was the thing that really made me, one, decide that I wanted to do this and decide I was committed to it, but also figure out what worked for me and what didn't work for me because it was a safe space because at the end of the day I was out today in four weeks. Nothing to lose. Got it. Right? So it was a really great space to experiment and do random stuff that I wouldn't be exposed to. Learn castanets, learn flamenco. Learn I remember that. Ballet spanko, yep. right? <laughs> but, like, expose you to different techniques. That, yes. Like, we didn't have hip-hop in, in Caribbean School of Dancing, but I learned, I did it in summer camps and mm-hmm. all those things. If I could, young people, I think summer camps as fun as wild as you could go. Yeah. So you just need the exposure. Yeah. And have fun because yeah. that, like, it should still be camp, you know what I mean? And you should have a little stolen kiss with a boy and all those <laughs> things. But at the end of the day, you're still working on your craft mm-hmm. and you're learning and you're meeting a bunch of people. Yes. But more importantly, it's just like absorbing yeah. and learning. Uh-huh. Awesome, awesome, And still awesome. being able to work on your technique. All right, quick round. Okay. Favorite dance move? Grand Jeté, Antonin, Armanège. Remember those? Grand Jeté, Grand Jeté, Antonin. Oh, yeah. Armanège, in a circle. Yeah, I yeah. don't think I ever mastered that I one. I used to love those. We did those all the time at the end of Intermediate Advance with Miss Rowe. 
I hated that. I love an omelette. No. I just, there's just this one combination that has always stuck in my head from R.A.D. Grand Jeté. Grand Jeté. P.K. Ah! Yes! Loved it. Chateau Pottery. I just always stuck in my head. Good old R.A.D. Well, good old, good old R.A.D. Okay, favorite performer. I don't have a favorite performer, but I have a favorite choreographer. Uh-huh. Akram Khan. Okay. Where can we see his work? He's British-based. Uh-huh. Um, last piece of work that I saw from him was actually his version of Giselle on the English National Opera, which was breathtaking. Like, okay. Absolutely breathtaking. There was a moment where he had, in his second act, where he had the woman literally just standing on point. And they just stood on point. And you don't... They didn't bourree. They didn't... They just stood on point with these... With these... Um, canes. Mm-hmm. And it was just so simple. But so effective, he's on me. If you could see any of his work anywhere, there's got to be videos. We'll out there. definitely post a link Akram for that. Cam, he has his own mm-hmm. company as well. Like seeing him at the Roundhouse, wherever he is, I go and see him. He's brilliant. He is technically a classical East Indian dancer. Ah, back to our culture. Yeah, but he has this. He has this amazing way of fusing all the techniques as well as quite physical and mm. and set design. He's phenomenal. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Phenomenal. Okay, best dance resource for injuries. Yourself. <laughs> your body. A, okay, okay. Knowing your body, uh-huh. I think, is the best dance resource mm-hmm. for your injuries. Uh-huh. Um other than that, if we had to have an actual physical I mean that's so hard because it depends on what access you have, right? Yes, it is. But yours. But my access. Mm-hmm. What was your best resource? Nikki Rollins of Physio Ed on originally on Harley Street. She's now in Bell Size Crescent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so her that was my that her, was my, my physiotherapist. Physical therapist. Yeah. Okay. Best dance for injuries that you encountered outside of the physical therapist. Best tool. Mm-hmm. Theraband. Theraband. Tell me why. It's versatile and that can go anywhere, and you can chuck that in your back pocket. Yes. But it's so versatile. Yes. You can do resistance, you can do strengthening, you can do like straightforward, like, you know, those two, because th- I'm mm-hmm. all about my feet and those mm-hmm. foot stuff. And yes. You can get the ones that are circular and holy, like, they're just brilliant. Yes. Awesome. 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 I wish I could do it again much the same way. Really? I would totally make all the mistakes I made. I would totally make all the decisions I made because I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one thing I would probably not do is figure out how to be able to wear heels quicker back after my surgery. But I am pretty happy with what I did. Uh-huh. Warts and all. <laughs> like, totally, you know. Yeah. And, like, I'm really happy with my time with the Lion King. And, man, like, there was so much personal and professional growth there. Yes. I'm thrilled with the decisions I made about being a professional dancer and mm-hmm. then not being a professional dancer. Right. Um... Yeah, I awesome. would. If I, I would just do it again and do it the same way. Do it exactly much. the same way. Yeah. I hear you. Okay, parting word of advice and how can dancers connect with you? Parting word of advice: Dance is not the be all and end all. It's part of your life, and your life is way bigger than just the dance. The dance is important, but your life and you are so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And you can get me on Instagram because it's open and. I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> if you see Danelle and I like run out the window. Yeah, you know, something's you know, going something, on. But... Something else is happening. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on Instagram, which is Z-E-E Bartels, B-A-R-T-E-L-S. Mm-hmm. I guess the at goes before. Yeah. Yes. It goes before. <laughs>
So you can find Obi-Lol to put that information at yeah. the end, guys, so you can take a look at it. So thank you so much for this. Yes. This was awesome. That's a little cheers. I think you done Oh, man. Oh, no, I have a little bit. A little bit. So you have more? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Zara. This was awesome. Thanks, always. Okay, guys, so we just wrapped up part four. Zara has all of the gold here. I hope you guys are all taking it in and really enjoying it. So stay tuned for part five where we talk about what retirement from the dance world looks like as a Broadway performer and her very unique story about dealing with a chronic illness as a dancer. See you soon. Do you have comments, questions, or want to share your unique experience? Check the episode clip notes to shoot me a message. We want to hear from you. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you've learned some new things and mostly connected with the process and experiences of these amazing dancers. See you next time.